Okay. Well, hi. Welcome to the Lavender Menace podcast. <laughs> oh, we're... did you? Were you recording already? Yeah, it's been recording. Oh. It's been recording this whole time. So we're in the same room, and we're in St. Louis. It's the Renaissance in St. Louis Woo! era. Yes. It's a lifestyle, you know. It's, um, yeah. So we're excited because this is part two. Last year in August, this... This also occurred, mm-hmm. and we're excited to bring to you more content, especially on our Patreon, because we've been doing some bonus stuff. We did a bonus episode that was a video of us Q&A. answering your questions, and we have one that's like a get ready with me, it's going to be up, stuff like that, you know? And also we do two bonus episodes a month on Patreon yeah. in general, so if you're a committed Lavender Menace listener, you should check Now is the time. <laughs> now is the time in the Renaissance era. Literally. So you have access to, to all the Renaissance era yeah. content. And if you're not, I mean, you, can, you should still follow us on, like, social medias and whatever if you want yeah. to keep up with, with us. With anyway. all of our going. Exactly. Going on. Today, we are, of course, going to bring to you our three-act structure, <laughs> as typical. And we have a couple hot takes from you guys as listeners today, so let's just get right into it. We didn't introduce ourselves. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. I'm Sunny, and I'm the one who is from St. Louis. And I'm Renaissance, the other co-host, and I'm the one visiting St. Louis. Exactly. So now let's get into the hot take. (laughs) Um, Lou titled, subjected the email with... More Tumblr bullshit. Hashtag biphobia. Yeah. That seems to be our... Our fucking... Y'all love to send these. But if you keep sending them, we'll keep responding. I just hope it's not getting boring. Hi, Renaissance and Sunny. It's Lou again. I'm back with another ridiculous Tumblr post that sucks and is unfortunately (laughs) doing numbers on the dash. Ooh. Apologies in advance for bringing up hashtag biphobia discourse again. My main issue with this is that... Okay, let me read the post and then Lou's response. True. The post is from the username heterophobic lesbian. The ironic paradox of biphobia and lesbophobia is that lesbophobia will have you believe society wants you to be bi, and biphobia will have you believe society wants you to be a lesbian. The reality is that society does not want you to be lesbian or bi, that society only wants you to be straight but will not hesitate to use other identities against you. If that means tricking you into believing your closest allies occupy a higher social standing than you and wish to keep you beneath them in some way, in the same way the straights do to them, then so be it. It's not even divide and conquer. It's recruiting us to do their own bidding and ridding them up of us in the process. Heterosexuals as a class do not prefer lesbians to bisexuals or bisexuals to lesbians, though individually each one might have differing opinions on which are most or least acceptable. Attempting to convince you that bi-privilege or monosexual privilege exists is intended to shift our arms towards our allies instead of our oppressors. Lou says, My main issue with this is that it denies the very real privilege bi people can have over lesbians, the very real privilege that they sometimes wield against us. Also, you know your biphobia argument is flimsy when you say it wants people to be lesbians. Like, hello? In what world does the cis-heteropatriarchy want more people to not be attracted to men at all? In what way does that benefit the cis-heteropatriarchy at all? That makes absolutely no fucking sense. And that last bit there is irritating, giving very don't criticize ex-queer person because we're all in the same community. No, bitch. Some of y'all are very annoying and deserve to be <laughs> out. Anyways, thank you for having such an amazing pod. Thanks, Lou. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Lou's initial points in response are very much it because 
Like, I think in response to any sort of drama or discourse or whatever, mm-hmm. like, oftentimes the takeaway that people will come to is we should all just get along, you know, as opposed to like, well, there's probably actually an issue here that needs to be addressed. Where I, And I think like this whole monosexism thing is actually crazy because it kind of reminds me of, I don't know, like, it creates this div- not this but but it creates this arbitrary divide in a similar way that I would say that like in some ways I don't know like mixed identity discourse does I was I was gonna say the exact because same thing because like mixed people who are like oh monoracial people have like privilege over or whatever Ooh, lame losers like tomato it's tomato giving tomato that. it's giving <laughs> very much that I, yeah. That's what monosexism as a term, like, makes me think of. I agree. And I say this, like, as a mixed person. Mixed people who, like, self-victimize for being, like, too light-skinned or whatever. Or against people. Or the caught in between two worlds. Yeah, yeah. Are jealous of people who objectively face more structural oppression than them. Like, people who are mixed who are like, oh, I wish I was, like, dark-skinned. When, like, if you look at the stats... Like, dark-skinned people face way more oppression than light-skinned people. And the self-victimization that you're somehow treated worse because other black people make fun of light-skins or make fun of mixed people is a little bit silly in the same way that, like... Saying Someone that, that lesbians being like, yeah, oh, are bi, more desirable, oh, well, or like, that's pe- goofy as fuck, yeah, is, a, is like, a, is like, a sense of oppression. Or when that doesn't make sense say, when lesbians are treated worse than our non-lesbian counterparts. Or, or like, or have the possibility to be, I guess. When straight people are like, "Oh, you're bi," just like pick a side or whatever. Like, it's like that's not monosexism. That's because yeah. they don't like queer people, and it's also homophobia. you're not like more queer for liking all genders or whatever. And then, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's more queer, quote unquote, to like have an oppositional lifestyle to to what is the cultural norm at large that is reproduced within as a super structural reaction to the base and that is man x woman doesn't matter like it's different when you're trans but even it's like mm-hmm. you have to be like actually like transgender like you can't just be like a cis she they you know what i mean like yeah. this is like that that is what it has to do with like the material reality that functions as a, but what if a you're manifest- a woman and you're taller than you're <laughs> Queer as fuck. <laughs> what if you like reverse Titanic pose with your boyfriend? Then yeah, that's, that's queerness. Gay. Literally. That's gay. Going back to the original post, the reality is that society does not want you to be lesbian or bi. Society only wants you to be straight. But like that's the thing. Part of my sexual identity wants... is yeah. that you can be straight. You can be in a straight relationship. You can assimilate into that Come structure. on. That is And not kind go of... against your nature. And the way that, yeah, like, yeah. legally, I could marry a man. Like, if a man agreed to marry... Like, there's yeah. nothing barring that. Yeah. But that wouldn't... That would go against my nature. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's also, like, historically, many lesbians married, had children, mm-hmm. were housewives, did the mm-hmm. thing. And they assimilated into that for safety, for financial reasons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What would they do if they came out... So, it's like... To act like you're special for being bi and then having the choice to do yeah, that. Because to have the safety and privilege to to, to love, have that be your life and actually be in love with and yeah. actually desire your Not partner. Not go against your nature is in that way. absolutely ridiculous when so many closeted gay people don't have that possibility and mm-hmm. historically haven't had that possibility. So, yeah. And then I also think, like, 
the other part of if that means tricking you into believing your closest allies occupy a higher social standing than you it's also like this is I don't the think other it's thing a trick though i feel like we've seen so recently especially with the depth versus herd case is a lot of you bitches don't stand for each other anyway yeah. In 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 our, our the darkest hour of need and the moment <laughs> yeah. where queer people like, are supposed to stand up for each other, the amount of bi women that went against Amber Heard. We need to be allies to each okay. other. We need to mm-hmm. because we both have like the fa- same oppressor. It's kind of like I feel like it all is also similar to t- telling like people who aren't white at large that like oh you guys like stop fighting with each other because that's what white supremacy wants but in reality like there are no i will hate white latinos you can't stop (laughs) like there's actual structural systems that recreate Mm -hmm. anti-blackness like specifically in a way that doesn't reflect on any other like racial group like you know what i mean like there are specific instances that that are like, it's a nature of how that hierarchical structure functions. It's the nature of how white supremacy functions, that some people can assimilate into whiteness or be more accepted by white society or be treated as a token, while others cannot be. Like, that is actually, yes, there are complexities and nuances to that, but that in itself is a privilege. There's a level of safety in mm-hmm. not being a certain identity in certain, like, that is, that is, that's the reality of the situation, bro. So, to, if we're going to make that parallel argument to this whole, like, monosexism, biphobia, whatever the fuck bullshit, like, we can also see that it is objectively true that if you are bisexual, in terms of how you relate to other people, you are less likely to get hate crime for being with who you love. You are not likely Mm -hmm. to be barred from establishments because you are in a gay marriage if you're not in a gay marriage like yeah. that's the thing it's inherent to your identity it's inherent to your identity that you are not a lesbian or you're mm-hmm. not gay like you are bi so if that is inherent to your identity in the same way that like someone who is not black that is inherent to their identity that's you are not black like that is obviously going to inform the way that you move about the world and to equivocalize all of these experiences as oh we should just be allies to each other as opposed to acknowledging the real like and i think like this is the other thing bisexuals will sort of understand this or or look at this argument and then be like but look bi people actually do face oppression and that's the thing it's like no one is arguing that bisexual people don't face oppression because obviously like and specifically like bisexual women because misogyny exists homophobia still exists exactly people hate gayness actual queerness in any way because uh, fundamental to being queer is being outside of the norm it's a contradiction to the dominating structures of heteropatriarchy so then and cisgender identity exactly onto you so you're going to face the backlash from that and the oppression of that regardless yeah but and there are objective like statistics and Mm -hmm. knowledge that is compiled that shows us that bisexual women specifically face like high levels of domestic violence etc but like who does the violence exactly like in like 90 90 plus percent of the time abusers are men so and and you know who lesbians don't date men okay like I've seen an influx, this is a bit random, but stay with me. I've seen an influx of TikToks and posts recently about queer people talking about their expen- their experiences with domestic violence in not with non-cis-het men and talking about how, like, complicated it is to talk about their experience with domestic violence when so much of it is done at the hands of men and their abuser is not a man. And not to take away from that conversation because I think it's important and everyone should be able to free themselves from those toxic and abusive environments, but I feel like equating all abusers 
such as cishet men who do the abusing and queer partners who do the abusing and this overall discourse about domestic abuse kind of falsely creates an equivalence of like this genderless yeah classless like, like, domestic violence sexuality is a gender issue yeah always has been always will be because domestic violence is about power and, and abusing power like how so much of history women have not been able to hold their own property or be viewed as separate entities from their husbands hold their own money at all literally penniless under so their own name. that's like that itself creates an environment that allows for abuse because it is an inherently deeply unbalanced power structure and for women who are in relationships with men patriarchy itself still exists in that capacity in like cultural social and economic ways so it, it it makes sense that those who are being abused are women and though like at, at large and those who are doing the abusing are men at large because who has societal power like that is what is going on here mm-hmm. and to be like oh Yes, it's true. Anyone can be a victim of domestic violence and anyone can be a perpetrator of domestic violence. But you can't ignore the reality that like the underlying issue behind violence in general, like the majority of violence in the world is created by men. You know what I mean? Like it's like and it's not because men have an inherently violent nature or biologically or are biologically inclined to be more violent. It's because patriarchy is violent. Mm-hmm. It is violence in and itself. it reinforces itself because also it's not only about who's doing the violence, but who's being punished for the violence. Mm-hmm. And it's men who get off scot-free or are encouraged to perpetrate violence. And then there are no consequences in the way where if black people participate in self-defense or become violent in terms of like post-colonial rage or anything like that, or when women defend themselves, God forbid, in domestic violence situations, or queer people or trans people become violent or aggressive towards literal oppression or in the face of violence, there's much more severe and much more consistent consequences that are handed out versus the people who are allowed to perpetrate violence in a way that's for oppression, mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. the sake of patriarchal violence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in it's conclusion. not like a predisp- like men aren't predispositioned. There's mm-hmm. just no consequences for mm-hmm. when they commit acts of violence. In conclusion... Monosexism and biphobia are both stupid ass words Mm -hmm. and should be taken out of most people's vocabularies because you could use this. You could you could instead use words that actually reflect what what you mean. Yeah. (laughs) Like imagine that. Like our one of our original theses is like words mean things. Yeah. And the words that you're you the it's like I would only, you would only use the word mm-hmm. monosexism, like, I mean, in this context as a way to be like, oh, actually, people who aren't bi have privilege, who aren't bi and who aren't straight have privilege over bi people. Well, mm-hmm. I don't really think that's true. Also, yeah. like, and biphobia is used to be, it, also to reinstate that. Like, do we not see how these words are being made in order to act as if homosexuals are this dominant class of people? No. This Which is the other thing. Which sense when bisexual people make up the majority of the community anyway. Yes, and it's also, like, something that people have equated is visibility with, like, acceptance or, yeah. or awareness. So there's this idea, like, a lot of, like, radical feminists in the 70s and 80s sort of made the argument that trans women were, or, like, the trans gender ideology or whatever was actually like political agenda (laughs) uh, yes it was actually like a reiteration of uh, like patriarchal norms or whatever because of the amount of coverage that people got for being trans Mm -hmm. but it's like 
that and also with like Stonewall or with gay rights movements, people have focusing on people who are homosexual, people who are trans, like dykes and like gay men. Mm-hmm. Like people focusing on these on, on these groups or these people being these groups and communities being the most vocal throughout queer history. That isn't about like quote unquote biphobia. It's more about the or fact privilege. Yes, that's not <laughs> more privilege. the lack of that. That is about fighting against that shit. There's hyper visibility mm-hmm. there because people were dying, and then there were people who were fighting against that and dying. And also, like I think the other thing we were talking about the other day is that like bi identity throughout history is something that can be so like hard to try to unpack because mm-hmm. how many people are how many women are just people experiencing like compulsory heterosexuality and how many men were just like closeted in DL. Mm-hmm. Like how do you the differentiation an air. between who is gay, like homosexual and just doing straight things because of the nature of the world and those who are actually bisexual and are into doing the straight things but also can do gay things. Like throughout history in terms of material reality, you really can't differentiate these unless someone explicitly says that. Have you seen the tweet that called Sappho a bisexual? Oh, I've seen this discourse for, okay. for fucking ever. This idea I know, that Sappho is like, bisexual or whatever. It's it was like, new, and I was like... Sappho is from ancient Greece. Girl, she's... Like, what do you... What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> like... I'm pretty sure if you sat Sappho down and told her, I think you're bisexual, she might have exploded. She would probably be like, what's that? You know, literally, like, it would Like, it speak would, in um, ancient Greek. What's what's the word for bi in ancient Greek? No, you'd have to say bisexual <laughs> in English in the middle of an ancient Greek yeah. sentence. Like, like, when we're, like... Because that's the other thing. Like, throughout history, like, bitch, like, you... Are you gay or not? Like, that is sort of the thing. You either... You either, as a homosexual or bisexual, you would assimilate into straight society and pretend to not be what you are mm-hmm. or you would be like i'm i'm queer and this is the life that i'm living one mm-hmm. in which that is deeply estranged from normal society you have to at sacrifice large. everything exactly but now because being bi is something that you like can just be a part of your identity that doesn't necessarily have to threaten your livelihood in this way that even like 30 years ago it wasn't the case mm-hmm. like you bitches are making up words to act as if like gay people are somehow so much more privileged than bi people when really bi people actually experience a really high level of currently visibility and dominance in social discourse like i really don't think that this Ugh, anyway whatever bitch Sunny okay. <laughs> loves to work themselves up into a fit fighting someone that's not here sunny <laughs> will just Create, create the enemy, fight, defeat, and walk away. We'll walk away from a fight that wasn't started, didn't exist, but that's okay. (laughs) So, this is the second hot take. This email is from Asha? Possibly Asha? Asha? I'm not sure. It says, Nordic model and the Fosters. My name is Asha, she, her lesbian, and my lesbian girlfriend... Y'all love to name drop your, or include girlfriendism into these emails. <laughs> Very offensive. Girlfriendism! Literally. It's always in the first sentence, too. They're yeah. like, hi, I it, it can't even be, I'm a listener. It's always, so me and my girlfriend listen to your podcast. <laughs> Please. Okay. Anyways. And Respect me and my lesbian for the singles? Girl, exactly. Me and my lesbian girlfriend, or my lesbian girlfriend introduced me to your podcast earlier this year, and I listen to it all the time now, and I recommend it to literally everyone, so it's safe to say I love listening to your takes. Thank you. 
I have a question about how you both feel about the Nordic model and if you think it works in general and slash or if you think it should be implemented in the US or if it could work at all in the US. Also, how do you both feel it compares to communism? Another thing, have either of you watched The Fosters? I like that transition. Yeah. I know you're not TV watchers. Sunny isn't. I was gonna say. When shows, oh, when shows have a lot of seasons, that's true. If either of you have seen it, what do you think? Okay, that's all. Keep doing your thing. Thanks, Asha. Thank you, Asha. Have you seen The Fosters? I have not because I, it used to be on what used to be ABC Family. I don't even know what they're called now, but Mm. I don't really, I don't fuck with ABC Family shows, so. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck that is. Anyways. (laughs) That was a network that did Pretty Little Liars. They did um, Secret Life of an an American Teenager. Very that. It's like soap, it's basically like soap operas for teens. Interesting. I think the Fosters might be a little bit more mature. And um, there's lesbian moms in it that are biracial. Mm-hmm. That's mainly what I know about it. Cool. And my my Mitchell is in it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think what but to the Nordic this person model. is saying, what she's saying about the Nordic model, like, is she talking about democratic socialism? I think, like, like what if, like, Sweden invaded the U.S.? <laughs> what if, literally, like, Norway, Denmark, all, Finland, all those places that are super democratic. The thing is that they still rely on imperialism, which mm-hmm. is why I think communists who are actual communists don't... Oppose that shit. Yeah, oppose the Nordic model. Because if you look at, like, oh, look at how amazing their healthcare system is. Look at all this technology that they have in their hospitals. Well, the thing is that they're getting those supplies because of the mining and the enslaved people in Africa that they use to get... Mm-hmm. the tools and the technology that are then used to make the hospitals and fucking yes. Snowvale. When you're so in the Imperial Corps, obviously everything, all of the stuff... But it's shown, like, the hospitals own these mines. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah, like, yeah, these yeah. healthcare companies There's, like, own. specific ties yeah. that are very explicit. And also, like, these countries have a vested interest in maintaining neocolonialism, mm-hmm. and that is what they do actively. All of these Nordic countries also usually have a long history of imperialism mm-hmm. or in the slave trade like when it was happening like countries that didn't yeah, actively yeah. have enslaved people were still very active mm-hmm. in yeah so that like business if you're looking at i think the difference between the u.s and like sweden is just that in the u.s the the wealth goes to you know this imperialist wealth goes to the to the top like one percent and sweden it gets redistributed across across the population but really like but the root of it is that that any better coming from if you actually care about the global proletariat yeah and like that's another thing that i a lot of like third world communists or like you know communists who are criticizing imperialism or coming or or coming at the imperial core will make that observation where it's like so many quote-unquote american socialists would abandon the cause of socialism if you just got like universal health care in the u.s and like Mm -hmm. that is the thing that's why as communists we oppose the nordic model and we believe that it just like all other european colonial and settler colonial structures need to be dismantled and taken down because at the end of the day like how is this a quote-unquote socialist system if those who do the labor that allows for your way of life and your living standards are not being compensated or treated well Mm -hmm. under these conditions like there's no way to make a profit without 
like exploiting your laborers to the degree to the degree that currently is what companies do you know Mm -hmm. the nordic model is just a somewhat improved capitalism that still benefits the very few like still benefits a tiny minority of the world because the majority of the world are, are not are not Americans, <laughs> are not people from the imperial core, you know? And if we, if socialism is about the workers owning the means of production, why, like, how the fuck are these Swedish companies or these Nordic model states that utilize exploitative labor systems outside of the country to make the domestic labor system that much better or whatever, that trade-off is fucked up and it's white supremacy. It's just white supremacy. And actually, a lot of these Nordic model countries have, like, really strict immigration laws for that exact reason. I think also another reason why the Nordic model and these, quote-unquote, progressive European countries are the way that they are is because there's kind of... The wealthy people are, like, the same ethnicity and probably have... Their families Mm -hmm. have lived in that country the same amount of time as, like, the working class and the proletariat of Sweden, Mm -hmm. Norway. There's, I feel like the social ties between them Mm -hmm. are less explicit and less Mm -hmm. oppressive than in the United States, whereas who is wealthy here Mm -hmm. and who is poor here are Mm -hmm. two drastically different groups of people and almost every in terms of language class familial history interpersonal relations just the language you speak exactly like everything is so different that you don't actually have to like wealthy people here don't actually have to contend with who they're hurting Mm -hmm. because there's no tie there's no way part of being wealthy is not having to see or interact with poor people but like like even in the reflection of the other people in your life bezos or Elon Musk, like like any of these people, even like it's always the silent riches that are the mm-hmm. scariest, the people mm-hmm. that we don't know the names of. Mm-hmm. But they're just never gonna see someone even like their average grocery clerk or whatever like that. Yeah, the per- the people who work for them will never mm-hmm. be people that they will never have be to reflective of the actual world and of the actual people that they harm. And the way that I think in Sweden, there's th- because there's a more for better, for worse, a national tie, for worse, actually. Yeah. Because they have that, there's more, I guess, social pressure to kind of, like, take care of one another. Mm-hmm. Because in the same way that white people take care of white, like, white supremacy works because there is that constant alliance mm-hmm. amongst white people to maintain their supremacy. Mm-hmm. And I think that, in, like, these Nordic models, mm-hmm. it's that same white supremacist allyship, except it's like 99% of the country. Yeah. It's also because they know not. that it benefits them. Like exactly. People, people do it because it benefits them. Like, I, in this one book that I stopped reading because it was so fucking sad, um, it's called Evicted, and it, mm-hmm. like, won a Pulitzer or something. And it's about, it just follows a bunch of these different families and stuff. This one woman who's, like, a slumlord, someone who is actually facing eviction, stuff like that, right? One of the statistics that he uses is that the majority of people who are facing homelessness or eviction usually have well like better off or middle class family members that like actively choose to not support them or have supported them and then cut them off like Mm. a lot of people for a lot of people that is the case people who are facing like homelessness and eviction so i think like that's a lot of middle class people and also people who have ascended the the ladders of wealth once you've gotten there and you have a level of comfort like 
there is no desire to help people who are even in your family, who are even your kin. Part of that Protestant work ethic mindset within the US is like, well, you know, like you have to work hard so you can do this yourself. Like this I can't. This is I, my I money. Help you. I earned it. Yeah. I deserve and it. And you don't deserve money. You actually don't even deserve to have to like live in a house because like you actually, you suck because you're poor. You know, like that is yeah. sort of the That's very the quintessential ideology. American exactly. culture. Exactly. That is American culture. Letting your family die because... Yeah you don't want to give them money. Like, retirement so, homes. Yeah, like, that's so American, right? And I think, like, that is also why the quote-unquote Nordic model in the U.S. wouldn't even work. Most no. of these bitches do not give a fuck about other people. Like, not even their na- not their They don't neighbors. even care about themselves. Like, why yeah. do you think, like, there are so many conservatives who are incredibly wealthy, and then there are so many conservatives who are incredibly poor. But, like, why do incredibly poor conservatives not vote for candidates that would work to provide them universal health care and better internet access in rural areas, etc. It's due to American propaganda, American nationalism, white supremacy. It's really just that. And also the reason why the Nordic model even... It only exists as a a reaction to the Soviet Union. Exactly, because of the USSR. Mm -hmm. So it's not even That's why the Western Europe has so much better benefits than the US. Exactly. Because the USSR was on their ass. Like, it was literally right there. Right there! And in the 1840... And, and, you know, like, Marx was talking in 1848, and then later in the 20th century, people were just sort of, like, looking at the USSR and being like, you know, damn, like, Mm -hmm. people actually... People are not being exploited to the level that we are here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a huge culture war between the USSR and the US for this exact reason like and there's so much anti-communist anti-soviet propaganda for the exact reason in the US to sort of block off people from understanding that in the USSR you don't have to fucking pay to go to see a doctor mm-hmm. and that's something that the average Soviet citizen when interviewed or talking to Americans was really concerned about like they'll they would be like is it true that if you're black you can't go to school which Audrey Lord talks about in Sister yeah. Outsider. Or and she'll be like, Well, no, that's not true. I teach at a school, blah 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 blah, but it is more difficult because of blah 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 blah. And, and the quality of education is not the same. Yes. And or when they'll they'll ask her, like, is it true that if you go to a doctor and like you don't have enough money, they won't treat you? And she's like, Yeah. Like when you think about it from the Soviets perspective, quite dystopian for the rest of the world, which is mm-hmm. why in Western Europe, which was right adjacent to the Soviet Union. Right there. So, and I think the power of sharing the same landmass, mm-hmm. like the Atlantic Ocean saved the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> I think right. the, the Atlantic and the Pacific Ocean mm-hmm. saves, uh, especially with like China on the other side, the Pacific mm-hmm. Ocean, and then Europe and the USSR mm-hmm. on the other side. That distance really, really saved, I think... Not for good, but, Mm -hmm. like, allowed uh, propaganda to Mm -hmm. kind of dilute or internalize, like, military action Mm -hmm. to stop relations, I guess, to the United States. It would be a lot harder to suppress It's also because in Western Europe, those are not settler colonial states. The U.S. is a settler colonial state. Like, the U.S. is a prison. Prison House of Nations, as, uh, who said that? Oh. So it was used by Lenin, but Lenin was describing Russia, but someone else was using it to describe the U.S. So in a speech called Black Power and the Fight for Socialism by Harry Haywood, 
As you may know, Russia under the Tsars used to be called the Prison House of Nations, but with a new socialist power, the Bolsheviks demonstrated the successful solution of the national question on the basis of complete national freedom and equality. Through study and discussion with some of my Russian friends and struggles in the Negro Subcommission of the Sixth World Con Congress of the Communist International in 1928, I became convinced that blacks are a nation in the Deep South, and furthermore, that blacks constitute a national minority outside of the South. Thus, the proper communist slogan should be full equality for blacks across the country, and the right of self-determination of the Deep South. The struggle for black liberation for complete equality is part and parcel of the struggle to smash U.S. imperialism. So basically, using the analysis and the idea that Lenin and Stalin put uh, Lenin put forth describing Russia as a nation made as a prison house of nations literally saying that you know Stalin defines the nation as like a group that is like unified through a through a bunch of various things and like we can view these these different nations within the US as prison house right there are the indigenous nations that the US is like settled on top of there's the black belt there are like there are different the nations within this nation and that's why it's a prison house because it is it's sort of contained through force and through implementation that sort of like make these people be tied together under like a larger imperialist like force of oppression so to liberate black people and to liberate non-white people like you need to within the u.s you have to destroy the u.s mm -hmm. is sort of the argument and i think like if we apply that knowledge and that logic to the nordic model because these nordic countries are not prison houses of nation they are themselves a nation a nation group of people who have a connection to each other because they are of a nation like is this the Swedish model on a theoretical, conceptual, and in real life cultural, like in an actual material reality? It's just not gonna work here, bro. Like it's just not going to work. You can't just redistribute a bit of the wealth that is already unethically gain, uh, gained mm -hmm. to people, and be like, oh, then we're good. We've done communism. We've done things better. Like everything is better now. That We've is not what communism, communism. That's not what communism is, bro. Like. Yeah. Communism is a classless society. Socialism is about people owning the means of production. Like, that's not what's going on. The The state is just redistributing some of the resources, which it could have done from the very beginning, but obviously doesn't because that's not how capitalism works. So, yeah, I oppose the Nordic model, mm -hmm. and you should too. Agreed. Of course, that's not to say that we don't, like, people should have health care. It's not like we're opposing better health care or, like, better public mm -hmm. transportation, but the means in which that would happen is not through the Nordic model. Yes. Okay, so Next one. we have a hot take from Harper, and she says, Hi, my name is Harper, and I'm a white bi woman, Swifty, communist, an absolute stan of the podcast. I'm going to trust y'all with a take about trans women, because so far y'all have slayed when talking about us. So basically, <laughs> I was talking with another trans girl about how lesbians and trans women actually have a lot in common, and I can't stop seeing the connections. Like, we're both seen as predatory and or sexually aggressive. We're both left out of the conversation or seen as not woke enough or whatever. Our mainstream rep is usually as a joke. Lesbians are told they have quote-unquote monosexual privilege, and trans women get told that we have quote-unquote binary privilege. Which is so sad. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? Non-binaries who are like so trans No, literally. Like a 15-year-old 
non-binary with named Sock. pit crew profile Yeah, picture. commenting on um, TikTok Tranma's TikTok page, being like, actually, you have binary privilege. <laughs> like, no, stop. Okay. Straight men love pitting lesbians against women who are into men, and cis men love pitting cis women against trans women. Bathroom, sports, awards are all examples that come to mind for me. We've been accused of ruining feminism, <laughs> queer liberation, etc. <laughs> and for both of us, a lot of that boils down to the fact that they hate women. And they hate women at the intersections of multiple things. And I don't think it's any surprise my lesbian besties are some of my closest friends and have my back better than some of these other gay bitches. <laughs> I was wondering what you think of this take, if you have any other connections, why this is, etc. I love this podcast. It's brought together so many different things I love and think about and connected them all so beautifully slash comedically. Thank you for creating it and sharing it. Thank you, oh, Harper. That's so sweet. Thanks, Harper. So, love yeah, that is our last hot take for today. And I'm excited that this is the... This is the wholesome end. <laughs> yeah. I think it's because uh, lesbians and um, trans women who may or may not be a lesbian as well are, like, oppose what womanhood as, like, a subcategory mm-hmm. to men is, like, mm-hmm. the definition of womanhood in this way. Mm-hmm. And to have such powerful reclamation in both the political and in the interpersonal of loving other women mm-hmm. as as a non-man and also being a woman having such a powerful mm-hmm. political identity and group yeah the rhetoric about being aggressive or preying on cis straight women i think that stems from the fact that we oppose the traditional yeah patriarchal view of yeah. womanhood why are you in way? the women's locker room right now you're mm-hmm. attracted to women or you're not a woman in the way that we want you to be like mm-hmm. something that is true of misogyny something that is true about the nature and character of womanhood under patriarchy is that all women are expected to act a certain way look a certain way be a certain way that is itself like womanhood is this constricted constrictive identity that exists in order to recreate oppression and mm-hmm. for Domestic labor and exploitation. Like, that is what this category of a group of people ultimately is about. And so whether you you subvert it in one way or the other, like in minor things or in large things, I think one of the biggest things within this identity category is itself like the individual identities that that individual women have, which is Mm -hmm. like transness or queerness or lesbianism. Like these things make us so deviant from the expected standard of women that other women also like face like disabled women and different like racial groups of women like Mm -hmm. infertile women like there's so many different ways that you can be a non-normative woman but i think being a trans woman or and or being a lesbian is one of those things that like has to do with how you choose to move about the world Right. Yeah, like, because there's some people who I think who are lesbians, but who are never gonna be out as lesbians. Yeah, there are some people who are trans, but are never going to live out their lives as women. Or like, want because um, I've seen a lot of like the older trans women on TikTok talk about this, especially comparing their relationship to the younger trans girls. Is that like back then, like being able to pass, like even though the trans community is is starting to move away from that language, like talking about the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and being a trans girl, if you didn't, that was literally the difference between life and death. And so I think being politically and identifying as a trans woman at that time Mm -hmm. was such a powerful stance because you wouldn't, for your own safety or for 
material reality, you wouldn't want to be identified as trans. And I think it, there's that similar pressure for lesbians. It's like, you don't well, want to be seen as you don't, lesbian. Yeah, you don't and want to be seen. And that's why Bush lesbians, so, are sp- or gender exactly. non-conforming lesbians, are, are so oppressed vital. in a really specific way that other lesbians are And they're also aren't. the backbone of the yeah. community. And I think that's also when our first hot take about, like, who is able to assimilate into these things, I think for other non-normative women, it's still possible, like, you can still be a mother mm-hmm. and assimilate into motherhood, even if you're an infertile woman mm-hmm. or have fertility issues. Like, there are other ways to assimilate into the normative structure, mm-hmm. whereas when you are trans and or also a lesbian, mm-hmm. you can assimilate, but that goes fundamentally against, like, your nature in mm-hmm. this way that is essentially denying, like, who you, you are. Like, of- who you are as a person exactly literally and that in order to live your life as a lesbian especially if you're uh gender non-conforming or trans as well Mm -hmm. or just a trans woman in general in order to be that true authentic self to live that life you have to be so vocally open and therefore be so explicit in your rejection of the dominant yeah that opposition and that marginalization as a consequence of that is what bonds trans women and lesbians historically and I think should be the reason why we still have such strong allyship today of course we don't see that as much as we should Mm -hmm. but there are also like conservative lesbians that are super annoying and transphobic Mm -hmm. and then there's also like turfs and like rat and whatever who who are also like like um like Blair what's what's the Blair White yeah who met with like Joe Rogan or whatever who's like known for being the conservative trans girl Mm -hmm. like obviously there are like reactionaries and conservatives in both of the identity groups that don't serve anyone they don't serve Mm -hmm. other trans people or other lesbians Mm -hmm. but i think that like historically speaking and just like the sentiments of harper like i feel like that's where it comes from it's like at the end of the day when you want to talk about something that's like real real like you're gonna either talk about it with lesbians or other trans girls. I remember reading a book called The Mars Room by Rachel Kushner, and it's set in a women's prison. And one of the conflicts throughout the story is that, like, in the women's prison, there is, like, there's, like, a trans guy, but then there's also, like, some butch lesbians, and then there's, like, just some, like, very gender non-conforming, like, women who are Mm -hmm. in this women's prison, and then they sort of, like, one day get the news that a trans woman is getting transferred from a men's prison into their women's prison, and, like, it creates this, like, massive divide within this prison, like, within all the prisoners, because, like, there are some people who are like, no, I hate this, like, don't, no way, and there are some people who are very vocally supportive, and, like, Mm -hmm. something that the book sort of... shows is how some of the butch lesbians or some of the you know gender non-conforming girlies are very much like yay like or or like take up the stance of like okay no like we have to defend this girl who's coming in because Mm -hmm. she's also different the way that like in a way that we also are kind of different and then there are some other like butch butches and some other like gender non-conforming women and like cis women who are like no like they're like this. This sucks. I can't do this. You know. So I think it's like that's that's the other thing. In mm-hmm. microcosms, there are truths that go in many directions. But I think at large, this reality that you know to be like who you are as a woman when you're a lesbian and or a trans girl, like you or trans, like you have. There, there are so many other hoops you have to jump. And I think like this is the other thing. Like 
something that I find so interesting within discourse is like you there's no like good way there's no correct way to be like a trans woman I've noticed because you know it's like oh why didn't you disclose that you were trans to someone you're on a date with you're tricking someone if you sleep with someone and you don't tell them that you're trans or mm -hmm. like stuff like that you know there's a lot of rhetoric of like that is seen as like predatory or a violation of like one's consent mm -hmm. is just like you existing as a person and I think that for lesbians to be perceived in like women's spaces as inherently predatory because yeah. we are like into women when men hit on you as a lesbian or if you're trans like are you just supposed to tell them immediately that you're a lesbian or that, and that you're puts trans? You in so much danger. Like, what, Why you know would you do that? Exactly. Like, how do you even interact with the world in this way? Like, there's no correct way to navigate this world if that you, reminds me of the uh -huh. 17 year old um, hostess who like oh, their yeah. coworker was just like, oh, isn't that guy cute? And then now you're all of a sudden thrust into a situation yeah, where yeah. what is the correct thing for a lesbian to do? Or if yeah. it was about like gender for some reason you or know like or if, in a place where you're not expecting to yeah have to yeah because like that. if you're trans and you're like stealth for example mm -hmm. and the and your co-worker is sort of just like i think i saw someone tweet about how like one of her co-workers was like ugh, looking at a like lgbt thing that the company had distributed and been like like oh how to how to be nice to trans people and she's like mm -hmm. she was like oh there's it's not even like there's trans people here anyways but like the girl she's the person that she's right next to is trans, you yeah. know? So it's like, you're always put in these situations, like, even when you are quote-unquote passing, like, for us, we're not immediately clockable as lesbians in a way that, like, butch women are, you know? Mm -hmm. But, like, for some trans girls, like, who aren't immediately clockable as trans or, or gender non-conforming, and also there's, like, variations on this as well, because yeah. all of this has to do with who is doing the viewing, who is doing the interacting, who, like, you know what I mean? Like, what the is context. the objective yeah. of the, of any interaction? Like, this is all, you know, it's all relational, but, like, for us, for us, it's like there are so many varying degrees of mm -hmm. violence. Because, yeah, even if even if you're both like very like femme presenting like girlies, like if you're if you are like being affectionate in public or if it's v visibly true that you guys are like a couple, that is that also puts you in a level of danger in the way that like being visibly trans and a woman does as well. But mm -hmm. also it's like I think what's different in our identities, I think, is that because trans women have historically been like used as or viewed as like it as a fetishized like object for men i think like for lesbians like that's true as well like we are we have also we are also a porn category category we're also like a group of people that you know exist as a sexual fantasy but in reality are treated very poorly in a way that like trans girls are as well i think the thing is though for trans girls who aren't or trans women who aren't lesbians like because there is a level of engagement with men on a romantic uh, level like when it is consensual in a way that with lesbians like it, if it's with a man it's never like really consensual like i think like that creates this this difference or this divide that can create like tension within communities because like i think there's this perception from i think trans women that like lesbians are people who like are obsessed with like the idea of relationships being centered around like genitalia like vaginas <laughs> whatever mm -hmm. you know whereas i think like 
les there are some lesbians who also buy into or propagate the idea that trans women are like predatory as we see with a lot of like turf rhetoric in this idea that like trans women want you to like date them so bad blah 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 which is so funny because like how many trans women are coming up to you on a day-to-day -day basis that this becomes like a problem for you which not I think, enough like, i want that problem <laughs> give like, it to me it's just like so strange that this non-issue is being mm -hmm. brought up in a way that like it, it feels similar to like my my video that went some, somewhat viral in a bad way about like femme for femme identity. Like, yeah. how often are like masks or butches coming no, up to that's you? That's what I'm saying. That I you want have that to reject problem. them. Like, like what? <laughs> I want that problem so bad. Literally. The fuck? Like, <laughs> that, I was gonna reference. I was gonna reference a real life situation, but I'm not gonna do that. If this is an issue, where so many perfect 10 out of 10 people are coming up to you and then you find out that they're trans or they happen to be butch or mask yeah. to a point where you're complaining about this regularly and with other people and this is starting so much discourse within the community like that's so strange it's strange i want it where is this happening <laughs> send them my way like, i'm this like is so weird who is, guys who has this many suitors in his also right. in the position like, to decline this right. many suitors. It's like, but oh. that shows how hypothetical it is. That shows yeah. how exactly it is how unrelated. It's all. To it's just a way to shit on trans women or to shit is. on butches. It's like it's like oh these predatory misogynistic butches. Oh these predatory trans women who like want to sleep with lesbians but are actually just pretending. Who are just well, men who are pretend who want to sleep with lesbians. It's like this is crazy. You sound insane. Well, like <laughs> another thing is like there's this false sense that lesbians and trans women have like more power than we actually do when yeah, we're actually because we have visibility so poorly. in you know, again what they like porn categories like, and like, stuff. Because they talk about how lesbians have monosexual privilege and trans women have like binary, binary privilege. privilege. Like that shit, like, <laughs> like get off no. the internet, bitch. I mean, please. imagine like going back into like because everyone's obsessed with Marsha P. Johnson before yeah. good rate, but every anyways, yeah. not getting into the whole culture. The RBG merch next to the <sighs> Marsha P. Johnson merch. It's like y'all, y'all are are doing her name dirty. But anyways. Like, going back in time and being like, actually, you and Sylvia have binary privilege, and in a couple of decades, 13-year-olds are gonna be agender and demisexual, and da -da -da. it's and, like, and, yeah, 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 yeah. girl, yeah. girl. And, and, like, this is the other thing, it's like, trans misogyny and lesbophobia are kind of, within, like, womanhood as a patriarchal identity, kind of, like, foundational to yeah. womanhood as a patriarchal identity. Trans misogyny... And lesbophobia. Like, that is so essential. Exactly. To, yeah. I, not be, like, not being transphobic and not being lesbophobic if you're, like, a cis straight person is a form of nonconformity to what you're expected. Exactly. Of, of how you're expected to exactly. behave. And, like, that's the thing. Like, most cis het people really don't like lesbians and mm -hmm. don't really like trans women either. You know, like. Which is why I have a TikTok about, like, should, like, this bring some of, anyways. It's from, it was a Bo Burnham audio i'm not proud of it but i needed to make the point that people are gay allies but hate lesbians mm -hmm. and people are trans allies but don't like trans women mm -hmm. or they like mm -hmm. trans women when they perform like mm -hmm. on pose or mm -hmm. when they're drag queens mm -hmm. but not actually like as people as people yeah and th there's also because these things are so they're ingrained into the fabric of society and culture mm -hmm. that there are like in the same way that there's, like, microaggressions for anti-blackness, like, mm -hmm. these things are, in classism as well, mm -hmm. they're so ingrained into the way that we speak and the way that we treat each other and even mm -hmm. just our standards of hypothetical people mm -hmm. that actually having to defend and love the humanity of peoples within these groups and within mm -hmm. these communities is, like, very far from 
the norm of, mm-hmm. of what's expected. Mm-hmm. And if you're an ally of these groups, having the courage to actually combat the ways and the moments that these things come up is a lot more courageous than the number of people who say that they're an ally. Like, you don't mm-hmm. actually combat mm-hmm. the way that homophobia, mm-hmm. transphobia, and yeah. all of these things And I feel like a lot of exist. allyship, quote-unquote, it's so, like, lip service-y, I don't know, yeah. or, like, so much about, like... The Saying po- the right thing yeah. rather or than Or being a good it. ally. The, po- yeah. the point of... It's, like, that's not what... Be, like, being a quote-unquote ally isn't about being a good ally. <laughs> like, yeah. it's, a- it's actually about solidarity with and recognition of and empathy with people who face more oppression than you. Mm-hmm. And if you can't even view us as people, like, which a lot of people don't, you just view us as sort of Objects. like... Yeah, or markers of your social morality or goodness, which I think, like, that sort of th- makes me think about our conversation about, like, putting Black Lives Matter in your bio yesterday. Oh. Where it's like... <laughs> Being socially aware, or like mm-hmm. how Tinder allows you to be like LGBT rights as an <sighs> interest. It, stop Asian hate as an interest. It's, like, it's what embarrassing. Is this? It's Literally. Because embarrassing. Th- like we we are seeing in real time the way that like your morality and your worth as a human being is being associated with shit that should like this should be the standard. I would hope. Like I mm-hmm. would hope that you're not actively transphobic or homophobic or the racist. Have to tell me. Is that more of a not. red flag, right? Right. Than if you if we engage as normal human like, beings, like if we just made the I assumption that that was. I, I mean, I yeah. get it though, because like on a basic reality, yes, the the general assumption and the general way of moving up the world is one in which you know most people are racist, homophobic, and transphobic. Like that's but that doing is the that, reality. I think but when you're doing is, that online, when the majority yeah. of people who are interacting with you online in that capacity mm-hmm. are people who like you know on some level or you want to know on some level it is just virtue signaling and like Mm -hmm. what does that actually mean in your real life you know but and i think it's also like who uh, if you have who is this for that's my question is who's the audience because if you're a white person and you have blm in your audience that other black people engage with you black people there's always going to be hesitation engaging with white people period anyway period yeah so So, why do you think this is going to give you like a green flag it's rather that you just not be racist yeah and exist normally black Mm -hmm. people interact with you how that how that happens naturally Mm -hmm. then trying then having it in your bio but then also if you have blm stop asian hate gay ally whatever for other white people for other cis people as a quote-unquote ally yourself not Mm -hmm. a member of these communities then you're you don't actually see these communities as people as having yeah yeah, yeah. you see them as objects for you to to feel better about yourself Mm -hmm. than other white Mm -hmm. cis straight people Mm -hmm. that either you know or just in general Mm -hmm. and which is essentially what virtue virtue signaling is like it's not that you actually hold these beliefs it's not actually that you believe in the liberation of these communities it's that you want to use them as tools and objects to make yourself feel better or not like the others Mm -hmm. in this way even though you benefit from the violent structures that exploit and have acts of violence against the communities that you say you're an ally of Mm -hmm. and that's why i don't like it when people say oh i'm an ally of this community or Or, oh, I believe Black Lives Matter. Yeah. I fucking, like, what does that I fucking mean? hope that you would. Like, why right. do you feel the need to tell me this? As if I would come you're up and You're in the middle of an argument, you? and you're yeah. like, well, actually, I, I support like, BLM, Black so. Black so. <laughs> and it's like, especially when I see this in, like, shops and stuff, and I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, looting was such a heavy, heavy conversation. And now I have all these shops that are about Black Lives Matter. Like, what what does that actually mean? Mm-hmm. What does it mean to have an, a business? Mm-hmm. A place of commerce and capital mm-hmm. that be- that quote unquote believes Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. What does mm-hmm. that mean? Mm-hmm. Because when people take the streets, 
when, you know, capitalism mm-hmm. actually gets threatened in any real way, what does that mean? What does mm-hmm. that look like? What are your actual beliefs? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anyways, love all my trans sisters and yeah. trans lesbians. Yeah. And, um, you know, one day praying for our liberation. Yeah. Okay, so now it's time to ha- talk about Heartstopper. <laughs> You're saying that we love lesbians. Now let's get into first kill. Please. First we kill. Two LGBT teen Netflix originals. And you won't be surprised which one we liked more than <laughs> you. Everyone places your bets now. Okay, if you're watching this on Patreon, the video edition of this episode, which is us sitting together in my room, ha ha ha, then you'll know that we look very different right now because <laughs> we stopped recording yesterday. But now we are going to talk about First Kill and, and Heartstopper. Teen rom-com? No. Teen, teen ro- LGBT romance type shows, you know? Originals. Like, origin- that are both adaptations of young adult. Both like, adaptations. Yeah. Both supposed to be hashtag representation. Both kind of... Bad. <laughs> well, like, like, they're not mid? supposed to be good. Right. But one is way more successful at yeah. what it says it's supposed to be yeah. than the other. Yeah. And, you know, I think that the Stan Twitter allegations against us are going to be that we're hashtag lesbophobic for believing this. But, but we it's must true. say that Heartstopper is so much better than First Heads Kill. and shoulders better so than First Kill. So much better, bro. Like, within, by the end of the pilot, I was already invested. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, is less than 30 minutes. Yeah. By the end of Hearts, or by the end of the first episode of First Kill, which is like 50 I minutes, said, turn that shit off. Within, like, like, I don't think I've hated a piece of media as intensely yeah. as First because Kill. Because it's just like so unironically bad. It's, and... It's, it's so and everyone's bad. saying, oh, it's so camp. Bitch! No! No! <laughs> You're doing Susan Sontag so dirty with it's, that shit. It's so... Okay, this is the thing. Is that what Heartstopper does successfully is that it doesn't go out to be serious. And so it's really good at the, like, the quality that it says it is, which is, like, a little bit cheesy, a little bit rom com yeah, lighthearted, You know, you suspend goofy. your reality a little yeah. bit. And then it does that successfully. It's very successful within its own framework. First Kill doesn't even make sense within the universe that it creates for itself. Mm-hmm. And that's the shit that pisses me off. Mm-hmm. Because, like, if you go to watch, like, a children's movie and you think you're going to get fucking Oscar bait, like, you're a fool. Right, right, right. right, right, right. But that doesn't but we make children's movies not good. At least a, a mid-quality. Mid-quality. Like, like, not, the acting was terrible. The a- Terrible. There is nary a performance to be seen. <laughs> nary a performance to be seen. Those were people was, on a set saying words. That was not no acting. There's no chemistry. There's no chemistry. It's the lack of chemistry. It's yeah. like it's in a chemistry vacuum. Like yeah. there's not even air polycules <laughs> between them. It's, yeah. But in Heartstopper, the, the chemistry is palpable. Like you can see, you can between, see how much these people... P- these kids the like crushes. each other. Like, like the all friendship of the chemistry, feel, like all of them. Yeah, yeah. Even, it's, it's like, it's, it's palpable uh, how much Nick and Charlie like each other, how much Elle and Tao like each other, how much they enjoy Elle being friends the with friends each other. Elle likes the friends with the lesbians. Yeah. The lesbian couple makes sense. Yeah. When Nick sees the lesbians at the party, so that admiration cute. feels real. I know. And like, and that's from a distance. They're not even yeah. saying anything. And it's yeah. better than when, uh, they're making, the, the, the shots of them making at the beginning <laughs> of the it first made me, kill. It made me want to die. I was it sick. Me- I was literally sick. 
Well, I, that was the other thing that we talked about, is that the first kiss between Nick and Charlie feels so much more real mm-hmm. than the mm-hmm. first kiss between Calliope and Juliet. Yeah. It's actually, like, like, the fact that these two are even being said in the same breath almost feels offensive to Heartstopper. Yeah. Because just... As an adaptation as well. Like, you can tell that Heartstopper comes from a comic. And when I was watching it, because mm-hmm. I haven't read the original comics of Heartstopper, but you could see the inspiration. You could see the references. Mm-hmm. And the little animations. And, like, when their hands are about to touch and there's the little, like, drawn electricity yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. That shit is cute mm-hmm. versus the $40, $45 CGI <laughs> on First Kill. And then also there's Ooh. no explanation about how normies function in these worlds at all. Like, if you're not a monster and if you're not a hunter. Like, because there's monsters and vampires. And just with, when once you mix that lore, you have to determine whether or not normal people can see monsters. Because vampires are not the zombies that they're killing in the cemetery. They look like normal people. They go to school. That's the whole fucking point. So it's like... There are so many questions left in First Kill that don't make sense in the universe, whereas the animation and the little moments of cheesiness within Heartstopper creates a world. Sense. It's yeah, a, it's, it's a world-building world Like, within the aesthetics of, of the show. To be clear and to be fair, we've only watched, like, less than two hours of content from both shows. Yeah. So we watched but the specifically, first... specifically, so that we yeah. gave them the same amount of runtime. Yeah, so we watched the first two episodes of First Kill. We watched the first, like, five episodes yeah. of Heartstopper, but each episode of Heartstopper is, like, what, 20, 30 minutes? Mm-hmm. Which I think is a much better format, and, like, honestly... First, first Kill, Kill episode should be shorter. Need Like, why is each episode an hour long? And, like... Not worth it. Even my friends who... Okay, so a lot of my friends are huge haters of Heartstopper, like think it's awful. <laughs> okay, fair enough, whatever. Yeah. And then there's some of my friends who think Hearts who think First Kill isn't great, but they still kinda love it. And I'm like, okay, whatever. No. Like I think that's abominable. They they well, okay, my one friend said it that it looks like it was made for people to make edits to it. that's true but i feel like that's not about like in the way where if i watch a piece of media and i like it just for the soundtrack or think that that's the strongest part of it in terms of storytelling i think that is a valid marker for determining getting some anything out of a piece of media looking like you can make velocity edits out of it Mm -hmm. to me is not a good enough marker Mm -hmm. to be like oh it's bad in these other ways but that's a strong aspect (laughs) yeah no i don't think she was saying it to like no i know but i'm rather just to be like yeah this shit it's bad like the only thing you can get out of it is if you took away the dialogue the original editing the original storyline put in your own original score the original (laughs) strip it down to its bare 15 seconds of frames Literally less that was than just a minute two girls long. kissing, like <laughs> literally a couple, a couple shots of the hand, whatever. Yeah, and like a okay, couple looks. The and that's number it. of maraschino cherry jars in that fucking pantry is also, still killing me. Why like, does the Why does the family have that much? How did they not see them when they walk in? Why did they not stop when they heard a thousand, approximately a thousand jars break right next to them? Like. Please. No one, I mean, I know it's about monsters or vampires, whatever. No one acts like a normal human being. Right. (laughs) Even the, even the actual, like, supposedly normal humans. Yeah. Or, like, like the the, friend, like, Juliet's friend or whatever. Why, why are y'all acting like this? No. It's very strange. The teenagers are played by (laughs) 35-year-olds. All of their outfits are from the discount rack from PacSun. Like... 
It looks like when American Apparel originally went out of business uh-huh. and they were doing that. Yeah. They went in. Yeah. Went they like did, they that. did the clearance sale. Clear. Just racked everything up. Out. And said this is. The, like when Forever 21 was going out of business yeah, 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 and everything yeah, yeah. was 75 cents. They're like, I got a show coming up. I'm just going <laughs> to take these racks. I mean, granted, their their budget was like two cents, you know? So. But I don't think that's an excuse. And first of all, I think that. Them having a low budget. I think if you're going to advertise, like, having a teen sapphic show or whatever, and you're not advocating for a bigger budget from Netflix, I don't think that's an excuse. I don't think it's an ex- I don't think there's any excuse for any Netflix show to look that cheap. <laughs> you know, like, if, if you're on there's a ways streaming to make platform, your if you're quality on YouTube, better with yeah. the budget that you have. Like, what, Shiva Baby mm-hmm. had a budget of $2? Like, literally. Please, like, less than so a quarter good. of a million. Like, I, I, and same with like Desert Hearts. Desert Hearts had maybe, I think like $100,000 to make Desert Hearts and a quarter of it went to the soundtrack alone, which meant that actors, editing, set rentals, costumes, that only took up 75% of the movie and it looks so much better. It's embarrassing. I'm trying to find the budget, but it's not there. It's not there. That's because they don't want you to know. They want you to think that they didn't have any money, but actually they had a fucking full loaded budget and it was still that bad i've seen better like youtube shorts i've seen better indie films because okay another like barely any budget teen sapphic media that's i think possibly comparable is like the deb's movie by angela robinson and that's cheap and cheesy but that's actually camp Mm-hmm. And they actually had a low budget. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's way better, way more iconic, way more of a seminal piece of sapphic media than First Kill is now or will be in its legacy. Mm-hmm. I think in three years, everyone will forget that First Kill happened. Mm-hmm. Or if they remember, negatively. Mm-hmm. Scarred by it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's going to be like when everyone five years later realized that like Supernatural is actually a bad show. Yeah. Like, but for a niche subsection of, like, Twitter lesbians. Which, mm-hmm. I think it's so interesting that so many, like, online teen dykes are so willing to, like, lay down their life in defense of this shitty TV show Could as a way me. to react to what is perceived as, like, lesbophobia in the way that people's attention is being focused on, like, male-male teen romance stories as opposed to, like, FF ones. But this sort of goes back to what I've said, like, last season, which is, the thing is, is that male-male romances in every genre and form of media are largely, like, better than Mm female-female ones because people... The source material. Y'all, because y'all aren't good at making art. (laughs) I mean... What can you say? What can you do about it? I think it's a valid criticism, but also... Heartstopper just is better than First Kill. Yeah, objectively. Like, I'm sure that part of why they got more press or whatever, or why people were more likely to ignore its cheesiness or whatever, is because, I don't know, people like gay boys. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't change the fact that it just is better than First Kill. You mm-hmm. could have you could have made First Kill even heterosexual. Yeah. And just the writing and the quality is just not there yeah, to yeah, hold yeah. up. And I think, like, the other thing that me and my friends are, have sort of 
talked about at length is the way that representation comes almost before quality in a lot of like contemporary yeah. teen focused media and that's a problem it is an issue like and the fact that the marketing is so heavily leaning into the like representation aspect of it i i find like specifically for teen and children's media in in books in movies and tv and mm-hmm. everything i find it kind of it's very you're you're it's very it's so watered down it's so like there's nothing really meaningful there because you're it's just doing something for the sake of doing something and it's not it's even not, quality representation no it's not because, good because the people who are writing this like alice oseman is mm-hmm. like uh, i think like a she they like asexual aromantic and for heartstopper yes yeah who made heartstopper she wrote the comics she also is a ya uh contemporary author and V.E. Schwab, who is the creator of First Kill, (laughs) is also a young adult fantasy, is a young adult fantasy author, okay? Mm -hmm. And I don't like her. I don't like her writing. She, I think she uses she, they pronouns and is like a 40-year-old bisexual. And I think that V.E. Schwab also made it with some, like a man, I'm pretty sure. So it's like, Neither of these shows are quote unquote hashtag own voices, which if you're in the <laughs> book community, you know that that just means like an own voices book is basically like if it's about a gay man, it's written by a gay man, yeah. or if it's about a black kid, it's written by a black kid, like stuff like the that, right? The character and the author like share the same. Yeah, identities. yeah, yeah, and it's supposed to be like thus more authentically representative. And so even for looking at representation from that angle, it's not accurate. It's not true. And like that's the other thing that I've sort of noticed is that. Oftentimes, even in, like, male-male romance novels that I've read, there are some books that it's, like, so obvious that a woman wrote it, but then there are other books that are, like, even if they're not written, even if they're not written by a man or a gay man, it's, like, this is objectively a good piece of storytelling. It's kind of similar to how men who direct, like, lesbian Lesbian movies, they can still be good movies, you know? And I think, like... With the variety of lesbian, specifically, like, romance novels that I've read, and then also, like, lesbian YA contemporaries, because that's sort of the genre that we're, th- that we're thinking about within these two shows, like, the ones that are good, from my experience, are also written by, like, queer women who are not relying on the on the fact that the, that the book is sapphic. It's, like, not... It's cause... about the storytelling. Right. And if the storytelling includes lesbian characters... Great. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we love that, mm-hmm. and we love seeing lesbians in media, but the primary focus should be on the storytelling, mm-hmm. and the problem with First Kill is that not only is their storytelling bad, there just mm-hmm. isn't, and it's, it's literally edits stitched together mm-hmm. to make the semblance of a show. Mm-hmm. It's a scene pack compilation, mm-hmm. and that's why, like, I'm not going to sit here and compare first kill to like disobedience or the favorite or <laughs> yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that even though those are some of my favorite lesbian pieces yeah we know those are not on par to even yeah. begin to compare but at the but that's and why we're talking about genre. this in the context of another recent released like netflix exactly. teen lgbt romance show like that are both even adapt- like comparatively like with mm-hmm. adaptions made by other people queer like queer white Jason. white girls yeah. who are young adult authors like it's they're very similar in so many ways just yet, a shift quality. in like genre same audience same platform mm-hmm. same sort of like year of release and yet there is such a vast difference i also think it's because the original source material because they're both adaptations yeah in with First Kill, it's based off of a 
short story in a short YA short story collection and V Schwab had wrote it and it's you know it's also I think it's also called First Kill I've probably read it but it's honestly so forgettable like I really don't remember anything about it Mm -hmm. but Heartstopper is based off of a wildly popular webcomic like it's so incredibly popular and they got published into like physical you know graphic novels and you know I was in school when they were being released so I would request a school library to be like, can you get the new Heartstopper graphic novels? And they always would. So now the school library has all of the Heartstopper graphic novels. So you're welcome to (laughs) the gay kids of my school. Like those graphic novels that I wanted to get ordered in is because like they're good. I read Mm -hmm. them on my little laptop when I was, you know, on on, like webtoons.org or whatever the fuck. And like... It, it was so wildly popular and memorable in, in the cultural context. Like, literally, it, it, it was and is inescapable on, like, booktube mm-hmm. or whatever, especially within, like, an LGBT audience or for teen, for, like, a teen audience. Like, it's truly inescapable, and everyone, everyone loves it. Like, everyone who's read it really enjoys it because it's actually good. But no one has heard of First Kill by V. Schwab as a short story. V. Schwab's like books and stuff, they'll get hyped, but they're not universally beloved in the way that a lot of Alice Oseman's books are. Like, mm-hmm. I just think that despite the fact that I'm not a big fan of both of their like prose writing, I like the Heartstopper graphic novels and comics because they're comics and I love graphic novels. I read Alice Oseman's book, Radio Silence, and I thought it was good, but I didn't really think any it was anything like special. But with V. Schwab, I've read one of her young adult fantasies and I kind of thought it was mid as well, but like, <laughs> you know, and, and every book that V. Schwab has released since or previously deeply, deeply uninterests me. Every time I hear someone talk about it, I kind of... I, I think of that person who has read the book and enjoyed it a little bit with a little bit less respect, to be quite honest. So I mean, <laughs> I can't even blame you because if someone came up to me and said that they actually enjoyed First Kill, even as a guilty pleasure, mm-hmm. I don't even think it's worth being a guilty, uh, having derived any pleasure from watching <laughs> First Kill. Okay, I really I'm not going to be that harsh. Like, I, like Just, whatever. I'm not going to. The only reason why I say this is because there is better ways to spend your time. The amount of time. <laughs> that you have to sit to watch first kill from beginning to end is too much if it was a film if it was if it had shorter episodes like heartstopper and it was maybe about the same length then i'd understand it Mm because you could sit it in the background or whatever watch it watch a couple fight scenes like i i understand that if that's your if that's a genre that you like to watch and if it and if it's gay and you're gay sure have some fun but i think that because there are other actual camp pieces of media, because people don't invest in learning about the history of lesbian media, they don't actually invest in learning about the ties between, like, gay-coded characters and the sci-fi and vampire genre, and then they hold this up as yeah. the standard. Yeah. No. Yeah. You horror... should actually know exactly. the genre. Like, if, this, if you want gay horror, if you want gay vampires, gay sci-fi... Fucking Carmilla, the original Carmilla, not the YouTube Carmilla, came out decades before Dracula. Mm -hmm. Lesbians have been in lesbian media forever. Mm -hmm. So the fact that people are trying to be, oh, we've never had this. Oh, this is the first time gay people are in horror. People were reacting to that New York Times article talking about how First Kill was like a tired Tired. take on 
on this genre of media. And it is. Which is true. Because That's the so other many... thing. It doesn't add yeah. anything to the conversation as well. Yeah. It's one thing that this is like an older genre of media or like this is the place where you're going to find gay characters. Uh-huh. It also doesn't comment on that. It doesn't feel like it even knows that it's entering the lineage of that storytelling. And so it feels so void of literally everything it feels void of history void of voice and i think that even like a, a contemporary context yeah. like it doesn't even feel like a real place in the no. world it's, it's it doesn't add anything to the landscape Savannah, that already exists. but like what, it could be what, anywhere literally it could be in any American it's kind town. of similar to like becky albertalli projects and but like love simon aka simon versus the homo sapiens agenda which like that is another adaptation mm-hmm. that the book simon versus the homo sapiens agenda like when it came out, everyone on BookTube, like, loved it. Like, everyone loved it so much. I liked it, too. I thought it was cute. I thought it was... Because at this point, mm-hmm. like, the genre had been oversaturated with with why contemporaries pandering to representation politics, essentially. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of a fresh take with this lighthearted sort of, like, coming out story, almost. And uh, that involved, like, blackmail and friendship and, you know, all this teen drama stuff. And I've read quite a few of Becky Albertalli's books, but I'm kind of, I've been tired of her writing for a while. And, but the adaptation for Love, Simon, like, objectively so much better than even, like, Mm -hmm. other, like, recent you know yeah. things that we've complained about recently like crush you know uh also and, bad and it also doesn't right. has an excuse to be that bad either. yeah and the other like fucking queer like adaptations and stuff like that why are teen sapphics being done dirty i so know bad? it's so because... it sucks so bad because i like yes people are talking okay and the fact that even within the co- within the conversations that people have about this mm-hmm. they're like oh like gay boys have have like Heartstopper and Love Simon. Why can't we have like something but like they that? Don't which have is like that much crush. Good either. Which is like I'm like, that. why are you even comparing or wanting a version of something yeah. that already exists for yourself? Don't you want something that is original, interesting, a, a take on its on its own that can be removed from being compared to media about men? Like what the fuck? <laughs> like yeah. there's no. And what's interesting is like I think lesbian media like that that can't really be compared to media about men or uh, yeah exists out there like there's so much more like sapphic and lesbian like literary fiction out there than there is like literary fiction about and by like gay men honestly in that same tone of like disassociative or like sort of like a removed tone of writing but I can think of Mm -hmm. so many queer books like that off the top of my head everyone in this room will someday be dead by Emily Austin this book that I just came out called we do what we do in the dark the divines Divines. by ellie (laughs) eaton even the divines especially but oh pizza girl gene kyung frazier like there's and i can't think of a single one i can't think of it and even like for example like lesbian period pieces and and movies like there's so many like the handmaiden the favorite you know disobedience carol like Mm -hmm. the portrait of a lady professor marston and the wonder i can't think of it i can only think of one like maybe one period piece maybe two Brokeback Mountain and Maurice for like gay men. I think there are so many like lesbian specific types and genres and forms of media that the fact passing, that passing there's no gay boy passing right the and it's because these are experiences that are unique to women, yeah. unique to lesbians, unique to women loving women, which is like and these mediums and forms embody that the the reality of womanhood in a way that like media about gay men never would because it's not about women you know and like there's there's genres of mediums that 
fit more appropriately for this type of storytelling that you're trying to convey. And so the fact that people are so invested in trying to find or create or support the lesbian or sapphic version of pre-existing archetypes is kind of strange to me because I think like, yes, it is fair to want the similar types of representation that you see other people and other groups getting. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like you should probably think a little bit more critically about why we don't have that type of representation in other spheres and also mm. like if that's even really true because people complain about the fact that there's so there's no light-hearted lesbian media and always complain about the fact that so much so many lesbian movies and stuff are like sad period dramas that's but the so thing is true. is that I that's literally that not true I... light-hearted media from even like 20 years ago like jennifer's body mm-hmm. fuck it of course devs which we talk about and like, but I'm a cheerleader, which we're gonna exactly. go see in the theater tonight. Haha. <laughs> book smart, even. Yeah, book smart, which is pretty recent. recent. Like, the, there is lighthearted pieces of lesbian media, but I just don't, I think, like, even those. Face, even Saving Face, right. The Watermelon Woman. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's that heavy. Like, it's right. not a rom com, but it's not a sad, like, it's no not one dies. It's very in the sad. End. Like, exactly. And that's the thing, is I. People say that they want the lesbian version of, like, a gay boy Mm -hmm. piece of media. I don't think that's what you they want or what people want i think uh-huh. people want lesbians to be treated like human beings and have uh-huh. realistic storytelling that are often afforded to men because uh-huh. people write for men uh-huh. and so then you just double it yeah whereas women are so often not even treated as human beings within media itself that when you get cheap lesbian representation when you get cheap lesbian media you just get you get no human beings you get no humanity in that whereas even good pieces of lesbian media that are created by men it's because these characters are treated in a humanizing way it's because it's good storytelling and it's two people who are in love and we also usually get a really nuanced or really interesting take on womanhood within that and so you have conversations about womanhood between women who love women and then that's how you get a good piece of lesbian media Mm -hmm. and representation even if it's within sci-fi even if it's something like deb's Mm that's camp and about spies or even like shiva baby or dairy girls these are also light-hearted dairy girls is such a good gay girl and lesbian like sort of teen or young adult coming and of age people are stories. afraid of headcanoning because the moment <laughs> you make a show lesbian first because i'm i'm serious i'm like if you want it make it for yourself why not and but people are always people have been hurt. doing that for gay men for for fucking ever girlhood within itself is a little bit gay mm-hmm. is a bit queer mm-hmm. which we talk about all the time especially like taylor swift and i love I last, love so, last long. so long like if you want good young girl sapphic media you want to look for shows that actually say something about girlhood or that have good girlhood representation that's not what people are looking or or what they want to talk about but i think the idea people see like carol once and they're Mm -hmm. like why are all lesbian media sad white Mm -hmm. period dramas and Mm -hmm. it's like i just don't think you know that much about your own history which is fine if people admitted it but Mm -hmm. they don't these people think that they know the entire history of queer representation in media and it's not just that's just not true, that's not the case, and you actually have to sit there and watch it for yourself and actually understand. Mm -hmm. And I think that people also lack media literacy, Mm -hmm. which we talk about all the time in Mm -hmm. general, that's not even specific to lesbians. Mm -hmm. And so I think a a piece like First Kill has just kind of created this perfect storm of people who are just for representation politics, Mm -hmm. people who don't know a lot about the vampire genre or Mm -hmm. the lesbian genre, and people who don't invest in media literacy Mm -hmm. and then now you have something that's as highly popularized because it's on a streaming service like 
Netflix Mm -hmm. and in the wake of the Heartstopper, which is a gay boy content. Mm -hmm. And it's just kind of created this perfect pop culture media storm. We have all these people who are saying that they're complaining about one thing when that's not really what they mean. They don't know what they mean. And the people who are actually criticizing it, like us, people who don't hate lesbians but hate first kill, are being (laughs) lumped in with the people who are being lesbophobic or who are being racist. And it's like, well we're complaining about different things. Mm-hmm. It's like when communists hate Republicans and, like, uh, Democrats hate Republicans, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever. Or when communists like hate Democrats, Democrats and, and Republicans hate Democrats. Democrats. It's like... We're coming at this from two fucking different exactly. angles, Exactly. And so I just, I just think that, like, oh, if you don't watch First Kill, then you hate lesbians and you don't want lesbians to get another show ever. It's like, no, I'm not going to reward bad work. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to ask for more of something that I don't like. What I will say is Netflix, do fucking better. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll watch Give your gay shows, but it has to Dairy be Dairy Girls-esque yes. shit. Like, Booksmart is on Hulu. Mm-hmm. Sugar Baby is on HBO Max. Like, let's let's Where get the projects it? working. Exactly. <laughs> and honestly, I'm I'm very scared for the Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo adaption. I already know that I'm. it's probably going to have a lot of flaws, and I'm not going to like it. But, I mean, if I do... Uh, thank God, I will gladly eat these words, but I fear that that's it's gonna Not be gonna bad. Be the case. But I've also seen I, like I just don't know even within this genre, mm-hmm. YA sapphic contemporary, mm-hmm. and them getting adaptations. I think I saw Kelly Quindlin. I talked about her in a, a couple episodes ago as a recommendation towards the end of the podcast, talking about how she writes YA contemporary sapphic like rom com novels that are still really heartfelt and touching, but also like don't necessarily all deal with the coming out experience Mm -hmm. and you know plays with a lot of pre-existing tropes within the rom-com sort of genre and the romance genre itself the teen romance genre and i thought i saw i think i saw her in the replies of a tweet fan casting for one of her books and she was like yeah i've actually talked to the actor and to the actress and we were thinking like oh we could do and i'm like okay that it'd be cool to see an actually good writers project get adapted and hopefully but like the thing is is that the reader like i said in the in that last episode the readership for actually good sapphic ya contemporaries is so much low like she had like what less than a dozen thousand like logs on goodreads for her Mm -hmm. most popular book or something like that which is so sad because how many logs does heartstopper volume one have on goodreads 338,000 ratings holy fuck yeah, and She Drives Me Crazy, which is Kelly Quinlan's, I think, latest released and most popular book, has, like, 25,000 ratings. And so, even if we're thinking... Of, and, like, V. Schwab is a very, very popular YA author. Like, very popular. And I think that's also why Netflix gave her the creative control to get this adaptation made. But, like, th- this is the thing. Like, people who are actually good creators, I feel like, don't actually get the resources and and opportunities to actually adapt their own projects in a way that they should get adapted. And when th- when that does happen, it's, like, such a rarity. Like, um, I haven't seen Normal People, but, like, the Normal People adaptation. Mm-hmm. Or, like, I just, there's, I feel like there's just so... <sighs> Where where is where's the spirit? Where's the energy? Mm-hmm. Where why are we so invested in trying to support media that isn't good when there is media that is good and doesn't have enough support and like deserves more? Like I I'm and so excited also... for like Emma Seligman's like future yeah. projects yes. and stuff. Like that's it's like support people who actually deserve it, not people who are pandering to an audience of Stan Twitter who 
focuses more on the politics of representation mm -hmm. and being able to list off uh, a series of... Oh, this is the other thing about Heartstopper. I feel like the way that the queer friend groups are sort of organically integrated into the storytelling yeah. feels more normal and like yeah. real to life than the way that first kill is trying to do this whole like female female romance thing because or crush even mm -hmm. those friend groups don't feel natural either at all the, the banter this dialogue doesn't make any Force. sense there's Whereas, no natural reason why or, they or even friends. like the way that people use the internet in crush the way that the kids dm oh each gosh. other the way that the kids talk to each other yeah and the way that the kids like have worries about their friendships their anxieties feel yeah fake. Like well, in, in well in Heartstopper they feel sort of like well, genuine, heart, yeah. yeah. But in in like Crush and other media in that genre, it it doesn't feel real. Like in Heartstopper, it's kind of characterized that Tao and Charlie and Isaac are sort of in this like awkward friend group of like sort of quiet introverted weirdos, mm -hmm. and then L before she like came out and went to the girls' school, they were all like friends together. And Charlie is obviously gay and got bullied for it the year before. And Elle is obviously trans and also faced like, you know, being at an all boys British school. Mm -hmm. So like, this is a friend group that just like makes sense. It's kind of awkward weirdos. And of course it's at least 50% queer, mm -hmm. you know? Whereas- which, makes, which that feels more reflective of like when you're in middle school uh -huh. and all of your friends are gay, but you're all in the closet. And then uh -huh. like years after, being yeah, friends yeah, yeah. you realize that you're all queer in some mm -hmm. way and that feels like i already feel that history with the friend mm -hmm. group in heartstopper uh -huh. where i already feel like they, they were yeah already been friends, friends. Yeah. Right, right whereas in crush i feel like those those friendships feel as fresh as they were written mm -hmm. like they, it feels like there's no history in mm -hmm. them mm -hmm. or any logical reason as to why they were friends besides the just telling like and this guy has been my friend since kindergarten and we've been inseparable ever since it's like okay but why don't Show, I see that? not tell, etc. That's been my biggest pet peeve with a lot of contemporary media that we have been consuming uh -huh. or that I've been consuming. That was actually, that was my least favorite aspect of First Kill was the narration was nonstop, the voiceover narration, and it was all telling, no showing. If you need a voiceover every five seconds to tell me what your motivation is, what you're feeling, why you're doing it, because you can't act, because you can't perform, because the author can't... Or because the, the dialogue is shit? Yeah, like. because it, you can't write the dialogue to back it up. You're just going to spoon feed me this? I don't like that. Mm -hmm. And that's not because I'm over voiceover, over narration, but it has to be done in an original way. And that's the other thing is like... When we say, like, First Kill doesn't add anything to any conversation. It doesn't add anything to the medium of television at the time. And I think especially watching it so soon after also watching Russian Doll, which is directed by women, written by women, also on Netflix, shorter episodes, also in this kind of sci-fi fantasy genre. Obviously, it's more adult, but it's like... You're not, you're not adding anything to the platform, to the genre, to the hashtag written by women, mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. even the background lesbian and sapphic representation in Russian Doll mm -hmm. is better than having these two main character lesbians on First Kill. Like, yeah, to, to yeah. me, it, it is a waste of time mm -hmm. because it's too long mm -hmm. and it doesn't add anything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So to me, it's yeah. bad. Yeah. I also like how in Heartstopper they actually use the language of like lesbian. Yeah. And not just like gay or queer in the way yeah. that like, Crush does, or even in a lot of like sapphic books do. I, I think that's you just nice. befriended the lesbians of the school. And it's used in the lesbians use it for themselves mm -hmm. and it's like nearly an honorific. Mm -hmm. It's like you've not like you yeah. know, it's when Elle becomes like friends with them, she's like accepted into this 
girl school like it shows like her growth Mm -hmm. is being friends with the lesbians who are together and call themselves lesbians Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. delicious delicious and no one else is giving that so before i move on to our recommendations i just want to say when sunny and i were watching heartstopper we were yelling and screaming 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 at the the top of our lungs and then i turned to sunny and i was like is this what men feel like when they watch sports because Literally. literally I was like... We were cheering those motherfuckers on, I was like, bro. we might get a cop call for, like, no commanding. <laughs> like, so what are you guys doing? We're, like, watching Heartstopper. <laughs> like, we were screaming. And Heartstopper can get that. It pulls on that heartstrings. It knows that it's doing it. It's cheesy. It's a rom-com. The meet-cutes are actually meet-cutes, unlike Crush. Girl, no. It's cute. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry. And I... This has come from a person who doesn't like teens mm-hmm. and who doesn't like gay boys. Mm-hmm. And I loved Heartstopper. Mm-hmm. So... Do better, guys. Exactly. Now it's time for the recommendations. Yeah. I have one right here. And if you're watching on Patreon, you can see in my little booktube corner. Oh, this is upside down. So the book I want to recommend is A Spindle Splintered by Alex E. Harrow. It's a short. Gorgeous. It's a novella and uh, it has little illustrations in it. <gasps> Cute. And I love pictures. It is a lesbian fantasy fairy tale retelling so it's like in the same genre of like first kill but doing it much better you know and essentially we're following our main character who has a chronic illness and it's terminal she was said that she was like basically doctor told her that she was gonna die at age like 19 or 20 or something like that but she kept on living and now it's it's like her birthday or something like that she's always had an obsession with fairy tales and she did like a degree in it and so now she is sort of really into the sleeping beauty story and so her best friend who is this massive dyke uh sort of for her birthday goes into this tower and like creates a whole room with a spindle in it and you know to sort of recreate sleeping beauty and then our main character pricks her finger and then gets kind of sent into this multiverse of sleeping beauties it's very queer it's very sapphic it's very like everything everywhere all at once but like fairy tale-esque it's super mm-hmm. short and alex e harrow there's another book in this series another novella i think that's another like probably queer fairy tale retelling novella and this is the type of shit that i feel like if you're gonna adapt a ya silly contemporary silly fantasy contemporary magical realism vibes sapphic like story that's a short piece of it's like a short book or a short story by a you know white woman by author this is the stuff that should be getting adapted not be Schwab <laughs> short story mm-hmm. um so yeah i recommend a spindle splintered by alex e harrow I liked it. I thought it was cute. And I think that, like, how we were saying how the vampire, lesbian vampire genre, like, First Kill doesn't contribute anything to that. I feel mm-hmm. like Spindle Splinter does sort of contribute to a lot of the feminist and queer retellings and reimaginings uh, and, like, sci-fi reimaginings of fairy tales that we that we see constantly. I think, I mean, a fair criticism of it could be, like, oh, well, it feels just like a creative writing class, like, you know, pre-tell something. But I think that's that's more original than like first kill so 100 percent, 1000 percent. my recommendation is the 1999 film titled dick which has michelle williams and kirsten dunst in it and it's about how these two teen girls end up 
uh, setting off the domino effect for the Watergate scandal during the Nixon administration Mm -hmm. and how the administration, um, they're, like, at the Watergate hotel the night that, like, the phones get tapped and they accidentally get spotted by, like, the Secret Service or whatever Mm -hmm. and then get, like, chased, or not chased, but, like, surveillance essentially Mm -hmm. but they're just like very stereotypical like blonde girls but Mm -hmm. are also politically brilliant but don't know that they are because Mm -hmm. they're treating it like teen gossip Mm -hmm. and then end up becoming advisors to the president and they're like we think that you should just tell them like how you feel about it and if they're like really pressing your buttons and it's so cute and um it's like just a great political satire and the two main characters are like besties bffs and i feel like they're relationship is very queer coded very queer coded very our love lasts so long because they both um kind of like hyper fixate on richard nixon in this way that feels like he's like a k-pop idol or something like that that's really silly like treating boys as 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 toys, toys as playthings, as little pets We're as, as little dudes bored. yeah We're all so tired of everything exactly and it's so it's just girls being girls it's very girl forward it has the voice of a teenage girl two best friends i love it i love blonde girls that are underestimated in in media but like are very powerful smart and intelligent like when the way that girls speak or teen girls speak is not talked down to or it's not the butt of the joke it's actually their Mm -hmm. masterminds Mm -hmm. so that's my recommendation it's just a cute fun actually camp actually good teen girl representation period Okay, so that's our episode for today. I hope you enjoyed hearing us complain again about <laughs> silly. Except we love media. Heartstopper. Yes, that's not a complaint. Yes, uh, we do enjoy it. It's true. Okay, bye. Bye. Thanks for listening or watching. You if you're a patron, join our Patreon. We look really good. 